Hey, good morning, One Hope. It's so, so good to be um, together again. This morning, we're going to dive right in and carry on with our series, Jesus in uh, Real Life. And we're looking at conversations that Jesus had, mostly from the book of John, but with real people, people like, like you and I, and conversations where they asked him questions or he confronted them or whatever it may be. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a conversation between Jesus and his brothers. I want, to, I want to contend right up front that Jesus is undoubtedly the most influential man in all of human history. Just think about that more than 2 billion people today would claim some affiliation to Jesus Christ to believe in Him. And all of that without ever having written a book, ever having had a Twitter or a Facebook account, ever having gone on God TV, any of the, the limelight propelling things that we might imagine for a ministry today and someone trying to get profile. And yet 2000 years later, we still can't get away from this humble carpenter, a nobody of society from Galilee who had a public ministry. Think about this, that only lasted three years. If God did not do this, man, this is a crazy, crazy story that 2,000 years later, more than a third of the world continues to talk about and believe in Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to this most influential man of history, I need to warn you that as we come face to face with him and we see the real conversations that he had with real people and read the first-hand accounts, be warned that Jesus is not just left on the pages of the Word of God, not just in the history that we read, but he has a knack of getting into our hearts and, and questioning us and putting the, the question the other way around and putting the person who's asking those questions in the hot seat. And so we come to investigate him and we often find that he investigates us. We come to ask him questions, difficult questions. And as we walk with him or even as you're coming toward him, you find that he begins to turn that around and ask you big questions. And so let's be warned that that's what Jesus does. And that's what he wants to do with us even this morning. He wants to get his finger on the, on the parts of our lives that need to be challenged and need to be stirred. And so we're going to be in John chapter 7 and have this conversation with Jesus and his brothers. I mean, this is such a familiar setting for us, family. Maybe it evokes wonderful positive memories. Maybe it's painful memories. Maybe it's a mixture. Maybe it's a, a beautiful family holiday that you went on. But we all know what it's like to be part of a family. Now, Jesus, we're going to sneak up on this conversation that he's having with his brothers. And I don't mean that in the charismatic sense of like you can't remember you know, anybody's name. Hey, hey brother. Yes, brother. Yes, sister. How are you? Now, this, is, this is Jesus's biological brothers and sisters. So Joseph and Mary, we know from Matthew, had at least four more boys and at least two more girls. And Jesus is the oldest child of at least seven. And I, we forget this, right? We forget that Jesus had a home, had, had parents, had annoying younger siblings, had to deal with these realities of his life. And now the story that we read this morning takes place in Galilee because Jesus has just fled from Judea. He's about two and a half years into his public ministry so he has about six months left before he's crucified so let's read together in john chapter 7 and verse 1 after this jesus went about in galilee he would not go about in judea because the jews were seeking to kill him Woo. now 
the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, they were all supposed to go up to Jerusalem, leave here and go to Judea. And your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Let's pray together as we come to God's word this morning. Father, as we come to sit under your word, this scripture and other scriptures, Lord, I, I want to bring a challenging word this morning and I ask for a grace and an empathy to flow. I pray that as I speak these words which are from your teaching to us, that I wouldn't bring condemnation or guilt or anxiety or fear in any hearts, but that instead it would awaken us to joyful living in the real way that you've called us to live. For those who are seeking to find you and don't yet know you, please, Lord, use this morning to bring them ever nearer, one more step nearer to knowing who you are and the joy of salvation that you bring into our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so in this passage in John 7, we see that Jesus' brothers do what, well, what's happening in families all over the world every minute of every day. They give Jesus some well-meaning advice. I mean, you know that from your own family, right? We've all had advice from time to time. But Jesus is not so keen on the advice that his brothers give, and so he rejects it. But I want to just start off by, by again noting how much the story grounds Jesus in the everyday um, similarities of our lives. He's not exempt from any of these things, family dynamics, um, in, in annoying brothers and sisters. It's too easy to think of Jesus as somehow apart from us. You know, well, yeah, we know he came to earth, but you know, he was, he was God. So it wasn't really the same. It wasn't all that, all that difficult for him. Well, Scripture contradicts you on numerous, numerous occasions, but the one that's been really uh, working in my head for the last few weeks, I've just found myself drawn again and again to Hebrews 4. I've been praying this over certain people. I've been praying this in my own life and just, just excited by it, but it speaks about how Jesus, our high priest, it says this, he says, sympathizes with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way just as we are. At the beginning of this book in John, in John chapter 1, it speaks about Jesus being the Word. And it says, the Word came and dwelt among us. He lived among us, experiencing life with us. This is God Emmanuel. That's what Emmanuel means. God coming down to live with man. John writes, we've tasted, we've, we've seen, we've walked with Him, we've, we've touched Him, we know Him. Real life. Jesus in real life. He knows real family. He knows real life. And so this morning as we peer 
back in time to this family conversation, I just want to make one big point. And I just want to say off the bat that for all the exegesis police who want to go text by text and, and, and little line by little line, man, I, I love that. That's what we do most weeks. But this morning, I just want to ask for some grace because I feel like I, I need to just launch from this text into something that's really stirring in my heart. We're still going to be looking at scripture. Just keep calm and remember, if you're the exegesis Nazis, just remember that the goal of coming to God's word is not to, to just crit and sit to sit and, and intellectualize around it or to have a lecture. It's actually to let it stir us and to let it challenge us. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, is what kind of life could a Christian expect? What kind of life is really the Christian life. Another way of, of asking it is, is, is from the other side is, are we owed an easy life? And so in the section of scripture that we just read in John chapter 7, we can clearly, clearly see that Jesus rejects the notion. He, he doesn't believe the notion that he is owed an easy life. It says, did you notice in this conversation that it says Jesus was, was hated? He was hated. Did you notice in this conversation that his lived experience was not a comfortable life, an easy life, that he was running from one place to another place because they were trying to kill him? Jesus had a bunch of people, and so he had to, trying to chasing him to try and kill him, so he had to retreat into the backwaters of Israel. Galilee was like the backwaters of Israel. It's the, it's the Somerset West of the Western Cape. <laughs> I used to live in Somerset West, so I love poking fun back that direction. But this is, this is not... A far-off people, a far-off war that you hear about of some people being hated over there. This is the people that Jesus came to, his, his own people. He's the long-awaited Messiah among the Jewish people. And they are, they are the ones who hate him and are trying to kill him. It's close to home. It's like with someone, like a friend or a family member or a, a colleague. It's, it seriously hurts when someone close to you is the one who is accusing you or gossiping about you, like ruining your reputation in Stellenbosch. It's one thing, them talking about you in Johannesburg or Durban. It's another thing about the, talking about you in your own town, in your own church, in your own family. That's when it really, really hurts. And John 7 says, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And it carries on and Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. It hates me me and then not only are the jews and the and the, his people his cultural people trying to kill him and they don't just hate him but even his his brothers his own flesh and blood don't believe in him there's this there's this goading word where they say if if you do these things do you really jesus do, come on if you do these things, they say, show yourself to the world. And then John, just for our clarity, says, for not even his brothers believed in him. And they kind of goading him, saying, go to Jerusalem, Jesus. Go do all that stuff that you think, you know, you can do. But actually, we know you're going to fail because we know you're not really who you say you are. We don't believe you're the Messiah. Come on, big mouth. Come on, big mouth. Go out there you, with your super, Superman complex. This is going to hurt deeply. This is going to hurt deeply. Jesus is hurt from his nation, from his people, but then even from his own family. Now let's stop and think about this. The reason that this is so challenging to us, to us today, in 2,000 years later in Stellenbosch, Western Cape, South Africa, 
in a Western culture, the reason this is so challenging to us is that we have this idea that comfort is the be-all and end-all of our existence. If you don't believe me, look at how we order our lives. Everything is around getting more comfortable, making our lives easier, it being more convenient, trying to control as many factors as we can. I would go as far as to say that we think that we are owed a comfortable life, that we're owed an easy life. And you can see that easily enough when you touch someone's comfort, when you touch someone's ease, they get angry. Why do they get so angry with God or with other people around them? Because it's owed to them. They believe they should have it. And if you touch it, beware. See, you can see it. And it's so challenging to us because when we read this conversation that Jesus is having and we, we look in on Jesus' life, our response is that, man, this is so tough, Jesus. I'm so sorry, Jesus. I hope this passes quickly, Jesus. This is tough, like ish, like just, just ish. Because in our minds, this is not how life should be. It's, it's so clear in the way that Christians pray for one another. Someone comes to you with a financial struggle or a relational struggle or you going through it your, yourself, you're experiencing it personally and the way that we pray for them is so indicative of this Western Christian culture. We pray for them as if we're trying to get a thorn out. Think about a thorn under your nail bed. You know, I, oh, I just I just curl at the, at, the, at the thought but you've got a thorn or a splinter deep down under your nail bed and you, you fetch a pin to get it out and I'm still not quite sure why you burn it over a match, you know, you get ready and you know it's going to hurt like crazy and you're like ah you got to get this this out but you have to go for it because you're desperate you're desperate to to get it out because of the pain that it could cause down the line with with getting septic so you, you put a pin under your nail bed and sometimes we pray for people in trouble like that lord take it out please god this thing take now lord now lord take it out of my life take it out of their life this is not good this surely this can't be from you god this is horrible god just just make it go away it hurts i don't like it god maybe it's just me i pray like that many many times see maybe this is so challenging because Jesus who calls us to live like he lives is reminding us what we are to expect. expect. This is the, the normative human experience and even more so it's the normal Christian experience. I, I hear you shout through the camera, what? What? Guys, the, the world is not is, as it should be. We know that. And here's the crazy part. Scripture teaches that we're not going to be unified this side of heaven. That we're not. Black Lives Matter or any other movement that springs up is not going to make us more united. In fact, Scripture teaches the opposite. It says that the world is going to get worse and worse and worse. We're going to hear more about wars, more about rumors of wars, more about natural disasters as God begins to wrap up the age to Jesus coming back. You know, if you have to think about our existence, if you audited your existence, my existence, I think we'd reach the conclusion that we're, we're fairly comfortable, right? But let me just, let me just make the, the point, in case we miss it, that this is not the world's experience. Most of the world, this is not the experience. If you audited their life, they would not reach the comfortable, easy conclusion that you or I would reach over our lives. Most of the people could not reconcile a gospel 
where suffering and hardship are not part of everyday life because it would go completely against their lived daily experience. Now let me extrapolate that thought a tiny bit and ask you if most of the world lives in suffering every day, all day, and discomfort, is the gospel then not for them? No. Surely the problem is that we have misunderstood the gospel. Not the other way round. You see, Jesus never says that we should rise above the world, be taken out of the world, that Christianity is somehow a superstitious bangle which we put on and it kind of wards off the bad spirits from us. In fact, Jesus says completely the contrary. He says, you're not of this world. You're not of this world, but you are in the world. Jesus says in John chapter 17, when he's praying for his disciples before he goes back to be with his father after the crucifixion, he's praying for them and he says to the father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. He doesn't ask for an extradition. He doesn't ask for removal from the world. Jesus was constantly pointing to the fact that if we're going to truly follow him, what the Christian life looks like, to disciple one another in understanding what the Christian life looks like, he's saying you have to know that this is going to be difficult, that we're going to have to take on friends and loved ones and colleagues, and if we're going to make a godly stand in our business, that we're going to face persecution. In his book on prayer, probably my favorite quote on Timothy Keller writes this, this quote. It's remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. Guys, that's a crazy thing when you, when you consider that in the New Testament. Paul wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all these books to churches in incredibly difficult circumstances. And Keller is right that you can go and research it. There's not one moment where Paul prays that God would change their circumstances. At this point... At this point in the preach, the, the scary reality begins to dawn on us that this is not just an over there happening in Jesus' life kind of thing. This is Jesus wanting to get into my life. And this is where it gets in the hot seat, man. The normal and, and God-warned, God in a beautiful God-warned way, this is the experience of every Christian. That Jesus says, I, I had to move to another place because they're trying to kill me. That Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. That Jesus says, if you would follow me, you must walk as I walked. And we're like, yeah, I'm in for the miracles. We're like, yeah, I'm in for all the good stuff that Jesus did and loving each other and all of that. Jesus said, no, no, you got to walk the same journey that I walked, the same path that I walked. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And we think, oh, lovely little gold cross around a pretty person's neck. This is like Jesus saying, pick up your electric chair. It's an it's a implement of, of execution. Pick up your lethal injection and come follow me. Let's see how many takers we have now. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man, Jesus himself, God's Son on earth, doesn't even have a home. He has nowhere to lay his head. Timothy says, all who desire to live Godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Say that to yourself, will be persecuted. And yet guys, even though it's all over scripture and everywhere, and you can make a case from, from literally 
hundreds of different places in the Word of God for the point I'm making this morning. Yet as, as, as Western Christians, we still live today like, surprise! Surprise! Every time a trial comes into our lives, someone that we love gets ill. Someone that we know who followed Christ gets sick. Surprise! And we, we're reeling. We're reeling from this, this news. I mean, just, just this week, uh, Stephen Anna Van Ryan, who, who you know are, are, are parent figures. They spend so much time caring for our congregation, coming through on Sundays with our leaders. Anna was diagnosed a week and a half or so ago with cancer. Now, by God's grace, they caught it early. She was in surgery on Wednesday this past week. It went so well. But guys, because they're leading a church, sometimes there's this idea that, well, they're serving God faithfully. They love Jesus. They love His church, you know. And there's this undertone in our Christian language that, God, it's not fair that they got sick. Guys, none of us are exempt is the point. I'm trying to make surprise. Now, come, come. Come reason with me as the Old Testament prophet says. Come, come reason with me. God never, ever, ever promised you or me or our kids or anybody else an easy, hassle-free life. And yet when this happens, our lived experience is that questions rush to the, the fore of our minds. We want to walk away from faith in times of difficulty and hardship. And I want to ask you, is it, could, it be, could it be possible that, our, that we've misunderstood, we've understood so little of what it actually means to be a Christ follower that any time when one of these things comes across our radar, we respond with surprise! <laughs> It's like, let me, go, let me go and check that box again. Let me go and read the, the terms and conditions, the fine print of coming to Christ. I didn't know. I didn't know this was part of it. And here's the, here's the pastoral part I want to bring across to you this morning. If you, like me, experience this in your life and, and this resonates with you and the way that you have viewed your theology, that's just the way you think about God, the way you think about life. If you've viewed suffering as something extra God, outside of God's will. If you've responded with this surprise in the trials of life. I want to pastor us this morning and say that I think so much energy is being wasted in our trials by just trying to reconcile the fact that the trial is even happening to us so much is is happening because our theology is so bad we have to spend so much time trying to align ourselves with is God being unfair is he mean is he angry and our theology is so poor around understanding what the normal Christian experience actually is like that we spend all of our time there, we spend all of our time in the, the take it away from me, get the, get the thorn out from under my nail. And maybe you respond in a sad way, or maybe you respond in a petulant way. Maybe you respond and you're angry with God and you're shouting at God, how, how dare you do this in, in my life, God. And we use all of our energy in that arena and way too little energy falling on our face and saying, Lord, you are God. You will comfort me. You will walk with me. You have, you have allowed this 
trial in my life. Lord, take me through. Take me through. Remember a few, a few months ago, I was preaching this from Psalm 23. And we love that Psalm. And we love to cling to the quiet waters. And oh, you lead me like a lovely little fluffy sheep, you know, into all the, the happy places and the peaceful places. And then, you know, I, I fear no evil. And we cling on to that, but completely forgetting that, that God's promise in that Psalm, the primary promise of that Psalm is, hey, hey, you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will be with you. I will take you through the other side and we we get this 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 ah we get this understanding that we're gonna we're gonna kind of be helicopter lifted out of our trials when we come to Christ and we're just gonna be happy and, and charismatic and smiley we're actually what God's word teaches us is hey you're gonna go through difficult things Jesus says in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world in other words I'm going through it with you man Whatever you're facing today, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not in any way trying to be unhelpful to you. I want to love you by teaching you what God's word actually says so that you are not found clinging to a made up promise. The promise of God is that he takes you through no matter what you are facing. Don't spend your time at surprise. Don't waste all your energy there. Let this thing get settled in our hearts so that when trials come into our lives, when difficulty comes, when suffering comes, when persecution comes, we simply respond, Ah, I've been expecting you. I've been expecting you. And our energy is poured out at the feet of Jesus, praying for one another, praying that God would give us strength to endure, praying that we would learn the lessons that God wants to teach us, praying that we would learn grace instead of judgment in our hearts as we learn what it's like to experience something. And maybe we've looked on somebody else and said, oh, they didn't respond very well in that. Let's see how we do. So God wants to teach us these lessons and we learn grace. See, this is the, the deeply un comfortable truth that Jesus rejects the idea that he's owed an easy life. So what have we discovered so far? Well, we've discovered that Jesus lived a very real life, lived with family, grounded in family, full of complexities, full of everything that's in our lives today. Then we learned that Jesus didn't just live an ordinary life, but he suffered in his ordinary life, not just on the cross in that beautiful, complex moment where, where Jesus is killed, but in his day-by-day -day life, hunted by the Jews, hated by many, disbelieved, scorned by his own flesh and blood. And then we, we start to get very hot in our, in our seat and we start to wiggle in our seat when we realize the implication of what this is, is that not just has Jesus experienced it himself, not just has Christ experienced it, but that that expectation that he teaches, that that expectation is also on us and on our lives. And then we've spoken lastly that our, our energy is misdirected to deal. It's misdirected if we're dealing with just the surprise instead of letting God shape and reshape our theology to understand that the promise is to cling to Christ Jesus. Let's spend our energy there. So some of the inspiration for the service this morning came from our Alpha group where one of our guys was sharing about how difficult it has been as he's come to Christ. He's still an early believer. 
how difficult it has been to actually be a Christian. And so in his own words, he's, I asked him if I could share this this morning. He sent a voice note. And Beth, who just thank you for editing the sermon this morning. Beth, just wonderful to see you growing in this space. But Marius has, has said that I can share this with you this morning. And let's listen to some of the words that he had to say. You know what? I think once you become a Christian, it's very easy because you've crossed the self-motivation barrier and uh, you want to be. For people that are not Christians, they need to know how hard the road to Christianity is. And they need to know how hard they have to work at it and how much self-discipline they're going to need to get through the hardships. So, what I'm trying to say is maybe instead of trying to convince people with all smiley faces how lacquer it is to be a Christian, because it really looks lacquer, you must teach them self-discipline um, first, because that will ultimately get them there. Anyway, my five cents worth. Ciao. I just, I just love that, like at the end, okay, ciao. Like, you know, we're just talking about the weather. Uh, Marius, you're a champion. Uh, so come, come reason with me as we close this morning. Come reason with me. I want to look through one more little lens. I want to ask this, this little question. Just think about it. Jesus lived what kind of life? The perfect life. Let me ask you, did Jesus, did, was Jesus ever disobedient? Never. Did Jesus ever, ever sin? So let's take our Western theology and one more time, I want to apply that to the life of Jesus. What should Jesus had, have had according to our Western theology? He never sinned. He was perfect before God. He never disobeyed God. So if we, if we take 1 plus 1 equals 2 in our Western theology, then Jesus should have had perfect comfort. Jesus should have had perfect, happy, long life. Jesus should have died at 120 years old, surrounded by family and friends, painless death. Instead, we see that Jesus was betrayed by friends who loved him. We see that Jesus was killed at 30 in an execution that, that, was, that was terrifying to behold. We see that Jesus faced false accusations and lies which ended up in him facing the death penalty. Why, friends? Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? Because he had you and he had me in his sights. In his mind, he left the comfort of heaven. He resigned the right to his godness. He resigned the right to the power that he had as God. As, as Hebrews chapter 4, let me, let me read it for us. Hebrews chapter 4 that I, I quoted earlier and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, he, he understands our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now listen to this next phrase. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, this is the craziest verse that I've been meditating on in the last few weeks because you'd think that it's your weakness that would exclude you from being able to confidently come into the throne room of grace. But what this text is saying is because Jesus understands our suffering, because he understands our weakness, because he understands our temptations that we're going to face, because he understands that, he's made a way that we can come confidently into the throne room of grace to ask for mercy 
mercy and grace in our time of need. And so this is not a, a message of just, just, you know, suck it up and suffer because this is what Christians have to do. No, not at all. This is a message of take courage. Whatever you are facing, we can enter the throne room of grace because Jesus has faced it before us. Jesus has suffered before us. So in our suffering, we can look to the left as it were. And look at Jesus hanging on the cross beside us. And we can see him suffering in the cross and take courage for our own pains. We feel powerless as we deal with our sin. We, we feel powerless as we deal with things coming into our lives. And yet we have a Christ. We have a Christ Jesus who chose to remain powerless on the cross when he could have called down the might of heaven to rescue him in that moment. He refused because he wanted to stand in solidarity as a high priest with us who understands our weaknesses. We see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane being arrested and Peter, bless him, bless that disciple, whips out his sword to defend Jesus as if Jesus needed the might of Peter and the might of man to defend his kingdom. But he cuts off the Roman's ear and Jesus says to him, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said, are you not aware that I can call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Oh, what a Savior we have. What a Jesus we have. Maybe this morning you don't know him, but you're suffering. Maybe you have all the money you could ever need in the bank. Maybe you have every comfort that life has to offer, but you suffer in much less obvious places. Maybe you're suffering with guilt. Maybe you're suffering with condemnation. Maybe you're suffering with shame. Maybe you're suffering with, with watching the, the decisions that you've made in your life and the role and effect it's had in your children's life and the brokenness that it's brought into their life because of your sin. As a parent, I know how hard that is. And you're desperately trying to rid yourself of these things. And maybe you've in part succeeded to, to, you know, to somehow make a, an easier way to live with these things which plague us in our hearts. Maybe you're trying to desperately pull the thorn out from under the nail bed of your life. Friend, I want to tell you that Jesus comes full of grace, full of mercy, says enter the throne room of God, confidently come. I understand what it is. I understand what it is to live the human life. I understand what it is to suffer. I understand what it is to face weakness and temptation. And Jesus comes to you today and offers you a way through a way through it won't be easy it won't be easy but it will be glorious and so let me pray for us i want to pray for you if you're a believer this morning i know this is a, is a difficult word to hear i know it's hard to take our theology and everything is saying run a mile turn this preacher off go the other way i know it's difficult but this is biblical truth this is discipleship and God is coming and wanting to shift us if we haven't seen this rightly so that we understand more fully. And it's beautiful. We have so much joy. So often we're speaking about the joy of our salvation, the beauty of it, what God does in our lives. This is just the, the other side of the coin that I wanted to focus on a little bit more intently today. And then maybe you don't know Christ. And I want to pray if you've reached a point where you say, man, I, I know that Jesus is real. I know that what he said is true. I don't know all the answers yet. I haven't figured it all out. But I know that I need to bring this suffering and this 
guilt and this condemnation and everything I can't put right, I need to bring it and I need to ask Him to run my life because I, I just know if I keep doing it, it's, it's not what I want. It's not what I want. And I want Him to be the Lord rather than me. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a little prayer, which is just saying, Jesus, I come to you. I ask you to take my life. I recognize you as the Christ. And I ask you to come and forgive me for the things that I've done and lead me into your paths and the journey that you have for me ahead. So let's pray as we close. Father, I lift up brothers and sisters, Christians, who don't understand this aspect of you, who are grappling with it. Lord, all of us in some way are grappling with it to a larger or lesser degree. And I just pray by your spirit this morning, two things. I want to pray that you'd come in and shift our minds, shape our minds to understand it differently, to understand it more biblically. And I want to pray for those who are in suffering that you would rush in as the comforter. God, take them through. Let them know that your rod and staff are with them, that you are with them in the valley of the shadow of death. Father, let them feel you and know you near them. And Lord, then I pray for those who do not know you. And if that's you this morning, won't you, won't you join me in praying this? Lord Jesus, I come to you today with my life with my questions, even with some of my doubts. And I want to say that my life is not my own anymore. I can't forgive myself. I can't come into right relationship with God on myself. And so I put my trust in you. I ask you to forgive me, to clean me. And to make me one of your children. In Jesus' wonderful name. We pray these things. If you prayed that prayer this morning. And you've come to know Christ for the first time. Can I encourage you? Let us know. Let a friend know who invited you to watch this morning. Someone that can. Not because we're trying to you know, have more people come to Christ. And, and us be any, any sort of glory from it. No. We want to walk a road with you. And to disciple you. Because it's not an easy journey but when we walk together it's made so much easier god bless you love you guys and see you soon